This is episode 117 about planning an entire season with professional track star Kate Grace and the founder of Endeavor Run, Jake Tuber. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and on the show today, we're featuring a three-way conversation with Olympian Kate Grace and our mutual friend, the founder of the new coaching program, Endeavor Run, Jake Tuber. Kate Grace, or Fast Kate, as she's known around the Oval, is one of America's most competitive middle-distance runners. She's an Olympic trials champion, a runner-up at Outdoor Nationals in the 1500, and she boasts a mile PR of 422. She's also a prior podcast guest, so if you'd like to explore how Kate handles the mental side of running, check out episode 97. We talk all about how she handles anxiety and pre-race jitters, what she does during a workout to make herself more mentally engaged, and how even though she's been racing at such a high level for well over a decade, she still has many of the same fearful thoughts as the rest of us. We'll talk about her strategies for staying mentally tough when those thoughts come up. And in this episode, we're talking about high-level season planning, how an elite athlete thinks about a season or even an entire year of training. The goal is to highlight how specific and strategic elite runners are with planning a year of training, their goal races, tune-up races, and the workouts that give them the fitness to achieve peak performance on the date of their goal race. Then we transition ever so smoothly to our friend Jake and Endeavor Run. If you go to EndeavorRun.com, you'll see that this is an entirely new program for runners that nearly defies category. I have a very difficult time discussing it because it's a custom training plan, it's strength training, it's coaching, it's a running retreat, and it's a team all rolled into one. I don't think the running industry has seen something like this before, and I'm really excited to be a part of it, starting with our kickoff retreat next July in Tracktown, USA at the University of Oregon. And the team of runners, coaches, sports psychologists, dietitians, and others who are bringing this to life is nothing short of amazing. People like author Matt Fitzgerald, pro runners Kate Grace, Mike Wardian, Kyle Merber, Shannon Roberry, and a lot of others. You really have to see for yourself what Endeavor Run is all about and what it includes. So go to EndeavorRun.com to check it out. And if you like what you see and you decide to register, code Jason will also save you 15% on the registration fee and you get a free pair of shoes of your choice. The discount and the bonuses will actually be changing for that code and I'm not exactly sure when. So check it out today if you'd like to learn more about it. Okay, let's move on to our discussion with Kate and Jake about periodization, planning workouts on Kate's 12-day training cycle, the support team that makes her success possible, and how you can have a pro-runner experience next year. Please welcome Kate Grace and Jake Tuber to the podcast. All right, guys, we have two guests for you today. First, the one and only Kate Grace. Kate, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we have Jake Tuber, an old friend and a teammate of mine from our track and field days at Connecticut College and the mastermind behind the new Endeavor Run program. Jake, thanks for being here as well. Oh, you got it, man. It's good to be joining you. Hi, Kate. Hi, Jake. What I wanted to do today was talk a little bit more about how a pro athlete like yourself, Kate, structures an entire season or maybe even an entire year of training. Because I think one of the big differences between how the pros and how the rest of us look at a season. And, and it's a really different kind of a mindset and an approach. Uh, and then Jake will talk a little bit more about Endeavor Run and how, I don't even know what to call it. It's not a training program. It's not a coaching service. It's not a running camp. It's all of those things put together into one. And, and it's such a comprehensive type of program that we probably need a new category to describe it. So uh, I want to talk about both of those things. And Kate, let's start with um, talking about your process. And maybe we can go into a little bit more detail uh, about some basics first. Let's start with those basics. When you think about how you're structuring a season, you know, how long should it be? You know, let's start there. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So I'm kind of in the middle, I'm in my off season right now, I would say. Um, so that I have about six weeks of downtime after the track season. Um, 
I definitely think I sh every year I take stock of what I've done the past year. And I feel like it's, it's kind of a normal thing. I mean, we're, we're used to having kind of these annual reviews, right, of looking at what worked, what didn't. So it's worked well for me to once a year have a bigger overview. What, looked, what, what, what worked well last year, what I want to change for next year. Um, for track, we definitely have these natural peaks in the summer where there's going to be a world championships or an Olympics. So it's definitely an annual cycle. Um, so yeah, I guess technically my, I, if you're going to look at a long-term cycle, it's annual. But within that, um, we probably have two little peaks, like kind of one more in February and then one later in the summer. Because um, I'm trying to think about how it, re how it would relate to marathoners, right? Like, maybe, do, do, I mean, I don't know, do marathoners usually have more two big races throughout the year or is it also just one? Well, I think it kind of depends on the athlete, but I think the typical more standard approach is a spring marathon and a fall marathon. And so your year is mm -hmm. structured in a certain way to give you the best possible chance of having a peak performance on those two races. So yeah, it's a very similar approach where you have that final, um, you know, goal race at the end of the season. And there's basically two seasons during the year. And of course, there's probably some recovery time, some off-season training in between those two. Sorry, Kate, mm -hmm. question for you. Like, does that, does your experience on the Bowerman Track Club as one of the shorter distance athletes, I mean, you're primarily focused on the half mile and the mile. Do you think that your experience there and your February and summer peaks are the same as that of your athletes who are on the team like Emily or Lopez or Mo who are focused on the five and 10K and longer distances? Like, do you, do you feel like your experience in terms of peaking mimics theirs or is there a noticeable difference even within your own team? Um, I mean, I think we're all trying to peak at similar times in terms of like having a peak in the summer, basically. Um, so our main, um, for us, like our main races, you need to be fit enough to peak to like make a team at the U.S. championships. And then ideally you have like your main peak toward the end of the summer when like the world champs or Olympics are. Um, but, and so I guess I say, like, I take, for me, it's almost too much to rethink my whole training twice a year. So in general, I have once a year where I deep dive into all aspects of training, like what went well, what do I want to improve, have my various lists of training and strength and PT, all different kind of categories. What do I want to do for next year? And that generally happens annually. So right now, basically, it's like, okay, I'm starting my year. I have my goals. What other aspects am I going to try to add into my program? So in terms of, so yeah, that like revamp happens annually, but it kind of covers too many peaks in terms of the training. Cause I'm going to go through my, from now I'll build until like kind of a more slightly peaked phase in February, take a little downtime and then build again to like August. Right. Um, but I do like, in a way, I also kind of like the idea that, like, within that, um, that having almost too many phases within the year allows me to then also tinker with my program, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I find it very helpful to start a year of training or to start a season with kind of a, just with, objectively looking at what I've done in the past and what I want to have included in my program this year and not just kind of willy nilly start running. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a real strategic approach for your training, Kate. And so when you say, you know, you peak in February and then you peak again in late summer, sometime in August, it sounds like there's basically two training cycles, or maybe we'll call them a mesocycle if we wanted to get super geeky with our training theory terms um, of, of training. And then you mentioned a little bit of a break after your February peak. What might that little break look like? It would be maybe a few more days, maybe some people will never take days off running. And so they maybe take a few days. That's for them as a break. I generally will take a day off running every few weeks anyway. So maybe I'll take either like two or three days off running, or maybe just instead I'll have a week period in which I'm 
not doing any intensity, runs are shorter, maybe my mileage is dipped, just like a pretty much a recovery week. Even, I mean, you don't want to fully come off of your, you don't want to get to the point where it's like impossible to get back working out. So I don't just stop running all, all together, but it's kind of like mentally, physically having your body kind of reset and then to then be able to start a little bit more of a base phase. So I'm trying to think, usually it's about two weeks of no workouts, no interval workouts. Um, I might, yeah, drop, drop my mileage a little bit and then go back to normal mileage, but have it just be generally less intense um, just to allow for that slight rejuvenation. And then when and you're mentally re- as well as physically. Oh, sure. I think the mental Sorry. part is, is equally as important as the physical part, especially when you're competing at a really high level. Now, does the recovery period after your August peak, does that look any different than what that recovery period looks like at the end of February? Yes. Um, I, yes, it, it's like much more like it's kind of taking a full step back. Uh, and again, that just with the track season, it makes sense that it's, the August period is the real, like what, where you really want to be at your best. So that's kind of where the full break comes after that. Um, I generally take uh, a, a good amount of time off running. Different people have different things, again, that work for them. Some people don't actually like to take that many days off in a row because then they end up getting injured coming back. But even if maybe I'll just like, maybe some people will run every other day, but just 30 minutes. So they're just keeping their tendons kind of used to the act of running, but they're not doing, they're, they're basically at no mileage, just kind of going out for light jogs. And I'll take a full two weeks of that, if not a tiny bit more. Um, and then from there, slowly build up mileage. Um, yeah, slowly build up mileage for a few weeks, slowly build up intensity, and I will be off workouts for six weeks. Uh, wow. Yeah. I love this high level look at how you're structuring everything because it's it's so well thought out and strategic. And I think that's a, a big difference between how people like me structure their running now and and professionals like yourself. Now, you know, you kind of mentioned you, what this. What do you normally do? Well, now I'm not training and competing at my best uh, because I'm I'm more competing for uh, being a dad to three kids, which which is also a... <laughs> I think a professional level sport, but, um, you know, back when I was training a lot, it was, it was, uh, very similar, you know, I, I kind of modeled my post-collegiate training after very similarly what we did in college and in college, it was more of a bigger break after the outdoor track season in the spring. Mm-hmm. So you'd get, you know, I, I might take like two weeks off of running in, in late May or early June. And then there's the summer base building season before cross country. You take a short break after cross country sometime in November usually. And then the indoor and outdoor track seasons are roughly combined. You know, there's a little bit of a break mm-hmm. in between. Uh, but, you know, there's really no base phase before the outdoor track season. And, you know, this is, this is my experience at Connecticut College, which is a Division three school. And, and I know things work a little bit differently in Division one in terms of scheduling. And one thing I want to note, too, is for our listeners, the timing of what Kate is talking about isn't really the important part. You don't have to peak in February and August. You don't have to structure your recovery time, you know, at, after those peaks. It's more the principle of, you know, setting up formal time to rest and recover after a hard running season. And I think that's really important for, like you said, Kate, both your physical recovery and your mental recovery. Um, Now, you probably race more often than just your goal race at the end of, of these two mini seasons. How do you figure out how many races to put into a single training cycle? And, you know, how do you space them apart? How do you think about all that? This is still evolving. I think it probably changes throughout your time, right? Um, But one of the things to think is what is the purpose of the race? So sometimes the purpose of the race can literally be to practice racing, right? I mean, at one point, it's worthwhile to practice um, the different tactics or going through what it means to... um, like how you prepare for a race, so not not get nervous. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it just it's. I think, especially when you're younger or you're newer to the sport, just having time racing is going to improve your racing. Racing is a skill like any other, right? And you can work at it. Um, that said, other times there are different goals to races, like racing. You can race for trying to get into shape, almost like a hard workout effort, but it's just not better to have it with somebody else, right? Or you can race um, for a fast time, whereas maybe your peak, for us at least, our peak races aren't necessarily going to be the fastest times. Again, this is different for different people, but sometimes peak races, if it's more championship style, you might be running a slow race. So if you want a PR, you might do that earlier. Um, in terms of the timing of races, I, again, this is for shorter distance. For a while, when, once I was in my season, I liked having a two-week cycle. So every two weeks, have a little bit of a race. Um, it almost would function as a workout at that point, right? But a race just within the season has its own, like, special place. It's its own kind of special type of workout. Um, Again, I think with, as Jake was saying, with different people, even on my team, like if you're a 10K runner, and you're not going to run a 10K multiple times throughout the season. Um, but I do think that there is also value in if you have your peak race like, or your key race, like if I'm going to run a 1500, it's for me sometimes also helpful to run a 3K at the beginning of the season because it's twice the distance, but it's helpful to get that aerobic stimulus or conversely to run something under distance to get that speed. And I think people don't always realize that racing um, different distances can have great benefits, even more so than racing your own distance more than once. I think that's often a surprising thing for a lot of runners to hear because I'm very much in contact with runners who have certain goals in say longer races, maybe the half marathon mm -hmm. or the marathon. And they only focus on that one race distance, you know, constantly. Yeah. So they're the two or three marathons a year because they're trying to get that Boston qualifier and it's just marathon training, then the marathon over and over and over again. But I think, you know, like you said, racing is a skill. And if you get faster in the 5k, then that means that you're improving your fitness and that carries over really well to other race distances. I did want to ask you, and you touched on this a little bit about how different race distances kind of play into your decision-making process. Because, you know, like you said, you're not going to race a 10K, you know, 10 times during a season because it's just too stressful. Right. Uh, same thing as if you're a marathoner, you're not going to have three tune-up marathons before your goal marathon. Uh -huh. You know, how do you figure out how many races you want to run as a middle distance runner focusing on the 800 and the 1500 versus someone who might be focusing on the 10k or even longer, you know, maybe a half marathon or marathon road race. I think the different things to keep in mind are how much of a block of training do you want before racing? So right now, if for, for us, it will be at altitude. So you, you want maybe a good, I don't know, what? eight week block before you even start racing. So it's kind of, um, you take your whatever peak race and then work back from that. Um, Want to get a, a certain amount of training before any racing happens, just so that training can be as like focused and great as possible without having to just kind of take the downtime that racing requires. Um, then, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm gonna answer this question great, but basically then I would look also at, okay, maybe, Early on, I'll race, so let's say if I want to race the 1500 at USA's, uh, I'll want to race a 1500 maybe a month out from that to get the experience of racing it to kind of get a fast time to kind of get that stimulus. But maybe as I get closer to the event, my like race before the key event is going to be a shorter race because it's not really meant, I don't need to like mimic the race itself. I know I'm ready for that, but I want the experience of racing, first of all, getting through the nerves, et cetera. Um, and I want a little bit of that speed stimulus. So maybe I'll race an 800 two weeks out um, as a way to get that speed stimulus to make sure you're continuing to be race ready. Um, but you also don't have like the extra nerves of having the same rate of having to compare that race to what you're about to do. Right. Um, so like, as I get closer to a key race, I actually would rather not race that distance. Um, I'd rather race above or below that distance and just, um, just so I don't have to, yeah, like overthink what the, any, any of the times mean. 
if that makes sense. So like if you're getting up, maybe if you're running, going up to running a half marathon, maybe you just run a 10 miler on the road or a 5k on the road. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. It's not going to mess with your mind in terms of uh, what, what time you get. Um, but you continue to, um, I don't know, feel like get that race stimulus. That yeah, sense? that's that's a really interesting way of of thinking about the tune-up race as raising a different distance because you don't want to raise your primary distance because if it doesn't happen to go well, that is a serious, you know, chink in your mental armor and, you know, it could throw you off psychologically before you line up on the starting line for your goal race. I think that's a a good way to uh, think about it and I really like how you do typically race a shorter race before your goal race because that's speed stimulus. And and I know Jake and I did very similar things when we were in college. You know, coaches were always varying the race distances and, you know, throwing the distance guys in the four by 400 to watch us flail around and suffer because we're just exactly. not used to anything like that. It was always funny for the sprinters to watch the distance guys run a 400, right? We did enjoy that quite a bit. Actually, I think that uh, there's several four by fours that would have come close to the national record if we hadn't included <laughs> you at the anchor leg, Jason. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that another time. Oh, was my 57 point not fast enough? <laughs> it probably was. It probably wasn't much slower than myself at the time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got a question in from the health editor of like life hacker about how the training is periodized. And she brought up a really interesting point of just asking about you know, how much time do you spend doing different types of training? So, you know, you have your more aerobic oriented training, you know, tempo runs, workouts like that. And then you obviously have your really short, fast repetitions where you're running, you know, 1500 race pace or faster. You know, how much time do you spend doing different things? And, you know, is it, do you subscribe to linear periodization, nonlinear periodization? Can you talk more about that too? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting I think, um, I don't even know linear versus nonlinear linear periodization, what those two things mean. I could guess, but um, I, I mean, in terms of general, like there's a base phase in the fall, it's about two or three months of more kind of aerobic type work. That said, most of, I mean, since I've been training professionally, I mean, a lot of what we do, you kind of intersperse isn't that you like you intersperse different types of workouts throughout. So it's not like you're never not touching speed or you're all, or, or you're ever completely going, going away from the aerobic system. You just slowly change the amount of time that is given to each of them. If that makes sense. Um, so I'll be doing tempos up until a few weeks before my final race. It's not like I'm ever fully leaving that system behind, but in the fall there in the fall, there's maybe three months of time in which that's more of the main focus and speed is a little bit like we touch it, but it's not, it's not the main focus. That I think sense? what you're describing um, is nonlinear periodization. Uh-huh. That's what, that's what I was thinking. I was going to guess and that's what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but again, and I wonder, so this is, again, that's the part that I leave almost solely up to my coach. It's interesting in terms of the type of stuff that I have say on versus Jerry does. And it's mostly him. I don't even, um, yeah, I'm not, I'd be curious to ever, I'm sure he would never jump on a podcast because he doesn't do that kind of stuff, but what his, where his philosophy came from. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems as though that we have a base phase, then we have a phase in which we're kind of doing all different things. We actually go into a 12-day cycle, which is interesting. But basically, it's we have a strength day, so an aerobic day. We have a specific day, so that's like where we hit our specific event group. So it's kind of probably more of VO2 max day. Is that where, what would that be? Um, like we're basically, I'm like running more things that are geared right toward a mile um, or a 3K. And then we have a speed day, which we're just fully hitting just pure speed. Um, and those are once every three days. And then we have a long run. And so the whole thing takes 12 days. And then you start over again. Um, and it's interesting. I've never done that before. But because it, it's annoying because you're never on a week schedule. It like your long run can be on a Wednesday. But it allows you to get um, like one of each system um, as kind of your key workout. And then you have two, day, two rest days. And then you have the next workout. 
uh, and that's kind of what we do January through February. Um, yeah, and then we have like a, a smaller base phase again, starting in March for about a month. Um, it's uh, back to more of the aerobic stuff. And then you get back, and then as you get closer to races, you're still doing aerobic stuff, but yeah, you're doing um, maybe a month or two uh, where you're more focusing on those specific workouts. This specific sounds meaning, like specific to your event. Right. Yeah. This Sorry. sounds definitely like nonlinear periodization where, you know, you're not linearly progressing from aerobic work to strength-based work to speed work. You're really kind of interspersing all of the different types of workouts throughout the training cycle, but there's a certain focus at a certain given time. So you're, you're moving through things in a more, you know, strategic fashion rather than kind of just doing a bunch of random workouts. It's the emphasis that I think is, is really critical. Um, now, Kate, you, you mentioned right. briefly your coach, and I, I wanted to talk more about this because I think this is a huge, big, important way that pros structure their season is that you're not planning all this by yourself, are you? Um, assume you have, no. you know, your coach, Jerry, and, you know, a, a whole other a team of support people who help you with your training and, and everything else. Um, how, how, what is your support network and, and where do you get that support? Different people do it different ways. Um, I mean, my coach, yeah, Jerry is the one who is foremost, like he's the one who is planning the season. So it's actually, some, I mean, sometimes when I talk about my training in terms of, and my racing, I mean, he's very much as much or more than me making those decisions. Um, and I think, I mean, as an athlete, I love the ability to have a coach that I totally trust that I can just like kind of defer on certain things. And I think especially when you have hard workouts, it's so nice to have somebody that you just, okay, you just do what they say and you trust that they know that they're going to get you in the right place. Um, I think especially when you turn your brain off in these workouts and you have to just like believe that you can do it, even if it looks hard. I, when I used to get more, when I used to have, it's almost like I had, I went through a period where I was questioning everything. And when you question everything, to a certain extent, then it's like I found myself rewriting workouts or not finishing workouts because I, I was in my mind too much versus like just letting him do it and flowing with what I'm told to do, if that makes sense. Um, the, but yeah, in terms of then there's a full other like cohort of people that I work with um, to help all the other parts of what it takes to be kind of at my best. So that would be strength, um, physical therapy massage, um, my like sports psychologist, um, and trying, I mean, I might, I have an agent, um, that's not necessarily my training, but, uh, kind of was races, I guess. Um, yeah. And those people are people that I'm at this point in my career, I'm mostly the one that's like the center that is dealing with all of them, um, and try and making sure that, that are in kind of taking in the various information and having a full program that um, I trust will be the best thing for me. That said, I think especially when I was starting out, it was incredibly helpful to have a coach who would, who I could trust or have a, a coaching system that I could trust to kind of oversee all those elements. Because at one point, one of the biggest things I think with athletes or with runners you start to get all this information and you almost don't know what to do with it because there's so many different things coming up, coming at you. Uh, yeah. So I, I think, especially with younger runners, it's very helpful or people who are newer to the sport or want to make that next step, having someone who helps you kind of distill all the different things that come toward come toward you is an incredible resource. Yeah, I can just speak from experience that when you're new to the sport or, you know, your your training age is relatively low, you've only been doing it for a couple mm -hmm. of years, the ability to have someone who knows what they're talking about to help you structure things and plan things and just to bounce ideas off of, to get confidence from, to talk you off the ledge when you've had a bad workout or race and, you know, you think all is lost is, is such an enormous uh, benefit and, and something that I think would really help any newer runner, you know, get them started on the right foot. And, you know, do you think, could you compete at this level and, and be 
um, you know, at your level, Kate, without that level of support, if you just had to take out, you know, the, the, the strength coach or the, the sports psychologist, I mean, how would that impact you? No, I mean, at this point, I think it's made such a difference in the last few years of me being able to stay consistent, to stay competing at a high level to, um, I mean, I, I think for a few years, when I first started running, I was extremely inconsistent, inconsistent. And again, I would, it's always hard to give to, after the fact, find reasons why something was going on. But part of it, I think was, I just was kind of drowning and not knowing what, um, and not having systems in place and not having kind of this kind of structure. Um, and I've thankfully been able to, yeah, be healthy, consistently train, um, slowly add different things into my program. And I think, yeah, part of that is having people to look, to look toward that have helped me gain a structure to my training and have it be more than just showing up for workouts twice a week. You know, one of the hardest things for me as a coach is, is, talking to, you know, the adult recreational runner like I am now and trying to convince them that getting that kind of support is only going to help their running. Because I think a lot of these runners, you know, look at a pro runner and they say, well, they're a pro runner, so they have all that support. When that's kind of backwards, it's really they are a pro runner because they have that kind hmm. of support. And of course, you know, your hard work and your talent certainly plays uh, the biggest role in all of that. But, you know, it's, you know, the, the final couple puzzle pieces that, that make it finished and, you know, give you that extra edge that I think is, is really important. You know, so, Jason, I want to I want to jump in if I can because I oh, think, absolutely I think that what Kate is getting at is so important for runners of different levels, and it's an area where, in my work as an executive coach, I often see and point to athletics as an area that is pretty much ahead of the curve relative to anywhere else. Which is that you can benefit from coaching if you're a complete novice. You also see folks like Kate who are the best in the world that rely heavily on their coaches. And I think it's, you know, somebody once mentioned this, uh, this idea that, you know, there's no one out there in the world that can really teach Tiger Woods anything about golf that he doesn't know. But he's mm -hmm. got a litany of strength coaches, swing coaches, putting coaches, sports psychs, because sometimes it's just at that level about having a different vantage point that allows you to see something you can't see. At a more introductory level, you need someone who can be a little bit more directive, help you plan out and appropriately periodize whether it's linear or nonlinear training session. And so one of the things that I think about in coaching athletes that I borrow in coaching executives or doing leadership development work is trying to apply what's called the situational leadership model to thinking about coaching, meaning that my approach to coaching an athlete or the way I think a coach should work with an athlete is as much based on not only my expertise in needs, uh, I shouldn't say my needs, my expertise in their needs in terms of you know, immediate feedback, but where they are in the journey in terms of how advanced they are. And I think, Kate, what you just illustrated is a beautiful illustration of how, um, you know, when there's someone who is new to the sport or doesn't have a lot of knowledge and they have a lot of information thrown at them, it's probably a little bit more useful for a coach to be more directive. You want that coach to say, let me help you cut through the noise. Here's how this typically works. Here's how we may change things a little bit for you. But this is what you should focus on. Throw out this other 20%. Don't worry about focusing on every supplement. Just get in your miles, all that good right. stuff. And then as they get a little bit more advanced, that can take on a little bit less directiveness and a little bit more, I don't want to say passiveness, but allowing the athlete to do a little bit more of the, needing, the leading. So you still have what's, what would be called a holding environment for that athlete where they feel cushioned and supported, but you're kind of letting go of the reins over and over. And then eventually you get to a point where, it, and it sounds like, Kate, you're in many ways kind of at this point in your career, the athlete has had enough experience looking at not only everything that's out there, but what works for them and what doesn't, and can kind of drive the plan themselves. And that role of coach is really one of a true supporter or one who's just there at a distance as perhaps an expert advisor around subtleties in learning. But ultimately, it's the athlete's job to be more self-directive and the coach's job to be more delegative or supportive in terms of the way they interact. So I think it's really important for you know, amateur athletes as well as pros to recognize that 
coaching and that structure that's provided is valuable at any point in the lifespan of any athlete at any level. And it's really up to the athlete and their coach to figure out a, a mechanism for interaction that incorporates both what the athlete needs and doesn't need, as well as where they are in their professional journey. So the same approach that Kate worked for you years ago is not going to be the same approach that you need today. And being able to adjust as a coach as you see your athlete progressing and be ultimately just an enabler of their development and changing your own posture to do so is I think a core feature. And I think a lot of times we see coaches who get stuck thinking like, this is the way I coach. And that might work mm-hmm. for certain athletes at certain times. And if that's generally based on good principles and you're really smart, it's going to work for a, a greater breadth of athletes at more times. But the real nuance to coaching and being sort of in tune with your athlete is making sure that you have the skill set as, and really the self-assuredness as a coach to adjust your style as the athlete grows in support of them. Such a good point. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I definitely, and I think um, you're right. And it's, I mean, again, it's funny that even now where I feel so confident and I have in many ways transitioned to feeling more like I am also kind of talk, I an mean, equal footing with certain coaches telling them what I need. I also, it's still to the point where I, it's so helpful just to have a, like Jerry, just tell me what to do. Um, but you're right. Like I have needed very different things throughout very different types of engagement from a coach throughout my development. Um, and a hundred percent would not have been able to kind of make a jump without a much more, um, without without having someone kind of help me walk me through a program and tell me exactly like what to focus on what to leave out um and yeah i mean that, like I said, that's what it's it's incredible if anything it's like my issue with trying to figure out what to do next in my life is that i have used coaches so much and it's been incredible to have different types of coaches and i get nervous thinking what am i going to do when i don't have this like cohort of coaches to, <laughs> to help me through <laughs> um but for now it's great and i feel like everyone else should definitely um yeah make make use of different people and different experts yeah, it's interesting, Jake, hearing you talk about uh, taking some of these principles into the executive space and, and having, you know, business leaders get coaching for their jobs. Uh, because even with my experience on the business side of strength running, I've certainly hired people to help me think differently about certain things. And while at the very beginning, it was, you know, tell me how to do X, Y, Z. And, and it was very prescriptive. Now that, you know, strength running has been around for a while, I love just, you know, reaching out for advice on really high level types of issues and just getting different perspectives on things. Because I think that, you know, at different stages of your professional career, you know, that's really valuable. And the same is true as a runner. You know, you're going to need different things when you're one or two years in than, you know, when you're eight and 10 years in. Um, so this is, this is all like so great. I'm, I'm just, the, the track nerd in me is just geeking out on all of this nerdery here. Um, so Kate, with all that we've just talked about, how do you think a, an amateur runner could, could listen to this and say, okay, I want to plan a season or my running, you know, from a longer term perspective, more like an elite runner. Now, of course, we're not going to they're not going to plan on running at USA's and we're not going to, you know, plan for a hundred miles a week, most likely, but you know, what are some of the big picture principles that you think an amateur runner could take from this conversation and incorporate into their own training to influence how we structure our running? One of the things I like to think about is like in a race when you want to kind of the idea of negative splitting a race or negative split or um, basically not going out too hard, like not, um, not like blowing your load in the first whatever mile. I like to think of it as negative, negative splitting a year or negative splitting a season, which is to say, I want to start out with a great base and just feeling like I can have this system that works well for me. And even if it's and kind of keeping everything in the box um, with the goal that as things get rolling and when you're toward your peak, um, that's like, you don't have to have crazy incredible workouts or um, anything that's really showy early on. If you want the showy stuff to come later, you just want, you just want to be able to do the work. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically I tell myself that sometimes if I'm thinking, if I get nervous or I think that my workouts or whatever I'm doing isn't 
um, exciting enough early. Is that, okay, no, this is, it's, I'm looking to negative split this. I'm looking to have my big, exciting things are going to happen late. All I need to do right now is stay in the race. All I need to do right now is just like do, do my system. And I guess that's, that's the biggest thing is having a system, right? Like I have a very set system that I work with throughout the year and it's not just running. It's also how am I going to make sure I get enough sleep? What am I going to, I mean, what am I going to eat? Again, like not eating every day, but I literally go through and look at like, what are the 10 things I want to eat every day? What, um, most days, right? Like to keep my, my anti-inflammatory stuff or to make sure I'm getting protein or make sure I'm getting good carbs. Um, what is my strength routine going to be? I look at like, when I start a season, I'm looking at what is this all going to look like and how are my systems going to keep me through to the end? And I think sometimes people just start a season with the race in mind and don't have, and again, it's, it's great. It's fine to just like go toward a race and, and race well, but having a plan in place for which how all, how those other components are going to factor in um, is only going to help. Uh, and not a plan, again, that's going to make you, this is where the negative, the negative split comes in. You don't want to like do something that's going to, you're going to be able to do for two weeks and then stop. You want to plan also like who your supporter is going to be to keep you on track um, so that it actually, you actually are able to stay consistent and do it 80 or 90% of the time. Um, and I guess that would all come back to like also having a, at least a coach or if not, or if possible, like a few, like a team of coaches to give you that structure or to help you create that system. Um, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's kind of, I mean, I don't know, for me, it's fun because I get to nerd out on it and see um, different what types of things I think will optimize me. Um, and especially if, you're early on and you have someone else that you can lean on, they're doing a lot of that high level thinking and you just have to kind of listen uh, and turn your brain off. Yeah. Kate, I actually want to give you a little pushback on you saying it's more work. I think it's a little bit more upfront work, but you talked a lot about systems and you want a system for your strength to make sure you get enough sleep for your food, for your training. And I think once you set up those systems, you're obviously not on autopilot, but it becomes so much easier after that to adhere yeah. to the training, to adhere to the sleep schedule and the nutrition guidelines and, and to have, you know, those dedicated strength days where you're, you know, working on some of your weaknesses and getting stronger without the systems in place, it becomes a lot harder because then you have to almost plan out practically every day and rely on your willpower. And that I think is one of the big differentiators between how a pro structures their training and how an amateur runner structures mm -hmm. their approach to training is that they don't have as many systems in place. And a new system that yeah. I'm excited to talk about today. How do you guys like that transition? Oh my God, that was the best segue <laughs> I've ever it. heard. That was incredible. Your segue machine. Incredible. <laughs> but I do want to talk about Endeavor Run because like I said at the beginning, it, it is not something that I can easily define, but that makes it so much more exciting. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a coaching program. It's, it's training, it's nutrition and strength. It's so, so different. And I know I've briefly talked about this on social media, but I do want to go into a little bit more detail on it. Jake, thanks for being here. Can you tell us about how you initially had the idea for Endeavor Run and kind of how it started. Sure. Yeah. And I should say that uh, the fact that it's not incredibly easy to describe concretely, maybe just a huge marketing flaw on our end, Jason, more than anything else. So that's fair. But the, the, the initial story about this actually took place a few years ago. I was working with a coach that uh, many of you will, will know. It's Jason's uh, brother from another mother and father, uh, Matt Fitzgerald. And uh, Matt uh, actually was helping me with a, a pro bono charity running project that I was doing, but had to delay it because he was spending the summer at that time living in Flagstaff alongside the Hoka Northern Arizona elite long distance running team there, training with Coach Ben Rosario and a handful of runners that uh, many folks who listen to the show will be well aware of. And I remember working with him following that and just talking to him about how much he learned and how much he improved. And following that summer at age 46, 
he went and had a lifetime personal best in the marathon of 239, which was apparently, I don't know if this is true, Jason, was like several seconds faster than your personal best. I, I don't know if that's accurate, but that's the word on the street. I am incensed that you've brought this up, Jake. But yeah, at age 46, Matt Fitzgerald beat my PR by a handful of seconds. I, I've run 239.32, and he probably, I think it was 239.25 or you know, an amount of time that just makes me still stay up at night. Well, just think about how much faster you're going to be at age 46 now that you know what we know, Jason. I mean, you're a ripe age of 24 years old. And, you know, by the time you get to be 46, you're going to be flying. So uh, just think about it as, as a PR for you yet to come. But, but to the story as it goes, I was amazed that Matt was able to have a breakthrough. And this is somebody that is sort of trained at a high level, knows as much about the sport as anyone else. So this idea that something about being immersed in this pro experience was categorically different for him. And as an amateur who was starting to take running seriously again after a long hiatus myself, I was really curious about what it was that was so unique about that. Was it just that they had some amazing training plan? Was it purely that Flagstaff is at altitude? Was it, um, did they have just some special sort of nutritionists or like, what, what were they doing? Like how, you know, in typical 2019 fashion, I was like, what's the one hack I can find as an amateur what? to do what they're doing. And in conversations with Matt and then subsequently in conversations with a few pro runners that I happen to know, like Kate and others much later, it became clear that what the difference was, was not just any one facet or a couple of facets, but a thoughtful integration of a comprehensive approach that looked at exactly what Kate's talked about on this podcast. This idea of I plan out my season. I have a couple of races in mind. I think about races beforehand that'll tune me up speed wise anaerobically. I think about building my base, but I also have nutritionists that we can work with from time to time to get advice. We've got strength training. We've got sports psychology. And the fact that in Kate's case, she's the central person doing it at this point is not a surprise because of what a veteran she is in her career. For folks that aren't Olympians like Kate, you may need someone or some program to come along and design that. And so it was working with Matt and then talking to old friends such as yourself and Kate and others that we wanted to try to come up with something new in the marketplace. This idea of Endeavor Run took flight, which is I would basically try to describe it as a start to finish comprehensive training program. So it tries to take as much of the things that an elite group like the Bowerman group that Kate's a part of or the Nas elite group that Matt trained with or others and combine that into a little bit more of a scalable way for folks. Cause you know, most people or anybody can't just move to Flagstaff for eight weeks to train with a pro team. So how do we build in as much of that around our busy lives as adults as possible? And so it's, it's a start to finish program, meaning that we take some of those core elements like, you know, Kate's team goes on training trips um, and things like that. Kate, I know you guys, there's been talk about Bowerman going to Australia a little bit this winter. So you'll have to tell us um, if that's actually going to happen. But we decided, well, what can we do to kick things off? for? No Australia. No Australia. Well, we've heard, you heard it here first, folks. Breaking news, exclusive strength running podcasts. No Bowerman <laughs> to Australia group. Um, let the last run message boards light up with that. Um, we decided to sort of build a program that had a kickoff and we wanted to take folks to the Mecca of running in the U S which is the university of Oregon in Eugene. And so starting this summer in July, that's when the program formally kicks off the teammates who are part of the team are going to go to a five day retreat in Oregon where they're going to get customized training plans that are going to take them from that retreat in July through the next couple of months and ultimately culminate in a sort of a pro style VIP race experience where they can train for anything from the 5k all the way up to the marathon at the rock and roll event in Las Vegas, which is an awesome event that's in mid November and they shut down the strip and you run at night and the temperatures in November for night racing are basically perfect for those distances. And in between that, we've got a lot of virtual things like conversations just like this with athletes like Kate and other pros and coaches on the team We've got some sports psych work that's coming in. We're going to do a yoga series. We're going to give folks access to one of my favorite video series on the web, which is Jason is your high performance lifting product, which I think is as good as anything that you can find for a pro or amateur out there online and basically try to strategically combine and compile all those elements for an amateur in a start to finish program or experience, however you want to call it. So that those of us who put in as much time as we do in training can try to simulate, emulate, what have you, the elements of a pro season. Because I, I can't tell you the amount of folks who, to your point, this idea of having a plan and having a system, even if it's a little bit more work up front, 
is so critical to the outcome. I mean, I know so many folks there that have this goal of I'm going to run Boston or I'm going to, you know, break this time in Chicago or something along those lines. And they maybe have a training plan that they execute, but it's one piece of the puzzle. And I often like to say that a goal without a plan is a wish. And I think a lot of (laughs) folks put a lot of time and miles and money spent on getting to these big goals and they're really scratching the surface of what they should be doing to optimize. I mean, they, if you looked at the amount of energy psychologically and physically that folks put into training for a major marathon, the fact that they're leaving so many of these different levers not pulled the way folks like Kate and others would to me just seems like um, it's kind of undermining themselves if they're not actually going for it. So by combining all of these things into a start to finish program, we could do it in a really cool way. And because they're combined, we can do it at a great value. Obviously something like this is not going to be, you know, three easy payments of 1495, but we're able to do it in a way that's um, much more beneficial for folks putting the whole thing together, start to finish. Um, and I should say that we're, we're thinking about decoupling some of the components. We've been pretty stubborn. I've been pretty stubborn about not wanting folks to, you know, just piecemeal or a la carte the experience because I think the proof is really in the pudding of the comprehensiveness. But there's been so much demand for things like just getting to go to the retreat where, Jason, I know you're going to be at and Kate's going to be competing in Tokyo at the Olympics at that time. But, um, you know, we'll have some other pros that finish behind Kate who maybe will join us at the retreat and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of cool components to that. So that is a very long answer to a very short question, Jason. You like how I managed to do that. I said I was going to give you a nice, succinct answer, and that's what I gave you. That was beautiful, Jake. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you talked about the timeline. So it's, it's July 2020 through November 2020. That's kind of the official kickoff through goal race season. Man, if I had something like this back when I was running more, this this is exactly what I would have wanted. And not just because of the training, not just because of all of the systems that will be put in place, which which really gets me excited as a coach because that's you know, I want runners to be more strategic with their training, not just their workouts or long run progression, but I want them to be strategic about getting help when they need it and, you know, investing some, some time and effort into their nutrition and strength training and sports psychology issues. You know, it's, you know, you call them levers, Jake. And, you know, as you know, when I think about levers, you know, we, we talk a lot about this in the business world, you know, different levers you can pull uh, in your marketing and your sales process and your product development. And I, I love the crossover between athletics and business. And I think if anyone wants to really get their, see their full potential and get as much out of themselves as a runner, they have to really focus on those levers. And, you know, one of the things that I see all the time with runners is that they're ignoring a bunch of different levers. And over the years, I've tried to, um, you know, focus on different levers to give runners this new perspective on, you know, hey, there's this whole other thing that I can focus on that will help me improve. And I really love what you've done. You know, when you told me about it and, you know, this is, I don't think a failure in your marketing when I say like it's hard to describe. I think it's more a a failure in my vocabulary. It really is like a pro (laughs) experience for the recreational runner, but I would maybe even go beyond that because the cool thing about it is that, yeah, you're, you're almost going to be treated like a pro runner, but you're also going to be treated as a fan of the sport of running. You get to go to a retreat at the University of Oregon. Maybe we'll get a private tour of the new Hayward Field, and we get to hang out with pro runners that we follow along with the sport, and you know we can ask our questions to them. That is something you you just don't get in other sports. You know, it's something like you know if you're a basketball fan you're never going to go hang out with LeBron James or Steph Curry. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. But when running, there are these new opportunities. And, and I just think that's so cool. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jason, because I think that uh, there's cool elements of the pro experience. And Kate, you touched on one or two of them earlier that I'll tee up here that we've also been able to weave in. So because this is sort of like a pro experience for amateurs, Kate talked about how she runs different races of different distances, even if there's one world championships or Olympics race. So while this program is ultimately geared towards this awesome like VIP race finale experience in Las Vegas, 
the fact is that we can customize an individual. So everybody's going to get a customized training plan that someone like yourself, Jason, or Matt, or other true expert coaches are going to build based on each person's goals, based on their schedules, based on their history and abilities. And that can still account for somebody who wants to run Chicago or had really had their mindset on doing Berlin and then also wants to maybe, you know, take Berlin and, you know, because six weeks later is Vegas, they can still have that half marathon and be somewhere within an extended peak of a season. So we can customize it the way Kate was talking about her training being ultimately something where even if there's one or two specific goals with the right degree of expertise and precision, you can have an elite coach do that. Um, and there's some other cool elements as well. So, you know, we all see um, some of the swag and awesome gear that pros get. Like one of the things we've been able to do by putting together a program like this is give out all, side, all sorts of cool gear and discounts on shoes. So people who go through the program, just like the pros do, are going to get up to 25% off and free shipping on any shoes that they want or gear or things like that. We've got sponsors um, right off the bat from the, the, the minute folks sign up, they can help them get discounts on stuff. So we're able to try to simulate the fun elements of an elite experience that come with the precision and training, the community of other like-minded folks who are going on that journey. And then really importantly to me, I think the last thing that I'll mention here in, in, a, in a plug is the accountability piece. Um, that accountability, it's not just like someone hands you a training plan that's customized and says, okay, good luck. And if you have any questions, that'll be another you know, $59.99 for a half hour text conversation. Uh, there's a, there's a series of follow-up mechanisms that we've put in place that help someone execute their plan between July and November, such as team captain check-ins and calls like this and mandatory reviews in order to get access to some premium gear and things like that to make sure folks are going through their training. So I'm hoping that for, you know, 120 or so folks that want to go through this experience, start to finish and really take their running to the next level and kind of simulate a pro experience as best as, you know, an amateur with a real life can, um, that something like this can really do that. And I'm excited because we've got just an awesome cadre of coaches like yourself and nutritionists and strength experts and pro runners that are part of this online community that are, that are going to be going through it. So, um, I'm really excited and, and I'm just, uh, I'm thrilled that so many folks, have looked at it and said, this is really cool. I want to be a part of it on the development side and even more excited and encouraged and just thrilled to do everything I can to make sure to deliver the value for folks. Because I know as someone who's an injured runner right now, I know how awesome it is to be able to get out there and take it seriously and kind of put the pedal to the metal. So, you know, as someone who's, you know, constantly recognizing that I'm getting older and that window for peak performance, wherever mm -hmm. my age is at is, is kind of always diminished at this point. Um, I really want to try to give it a go. And so I'm, I'm excited to go through the program uh, itself. And I'm hopeful that I can convince Kate to pace me through a full marathon after she wins an Olympic gold medal just a few months earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no that pressure, is Kate. a separate conversation. <laughs> we'll talk about that offline. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think my audience knows that I very rarely partnered with other companies on different joint projects and things like that. And so when I was approached by you about Endeavor Run, it was something that I initially was like, well, let me see, I'll take a look. And, and I was pretty much blown away by what you've put together, the, the resources that you have compiled for the average runner, and you know, the, the, also the team of, of pro runners and coaches that are going to be there to support them along the way. And so it was something that I had to jump on and, and be a part of. And it's just really incredible what you've been able to do. And you know, it was funny, the other day, my wife was looking at my, our, our shared calendar and she's like, wait a minute, what are you doing at the University of Oregon next summer? Is this, can I come? <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry, it's, uh, this is a, a trip for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I know a guy if she wants a discount, so you can just message me after the call. But uh, no, I mean, I mean th thanks for that, Jason. I, I really, you know, obviously you and I have known each other and, and known each other in the running world for a long time. And so it wasn't just the fact that you thought it was cool, but really wanted to sign on knowing how picky and choosy you, you understandably are about uh, your time there and really wanting to be a part of it as this thing launches. I mean, I know a lot of folks are excited just to get to spend some time with you at Eugene, let alone have you write their training plans and be available from time to time like this. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about your participation. I very much genuinely appreciate the, uh, the guidance you've helped put into, I mean, you and Kate have both been so great about, not just being, you know, wanting to be on board and be part of the team, 
but really helping to shape the experience, both Jason based on your coaching and Kate based on your running and running with an elite team is something that uh, I think it, your DNA is, is all over the program. And I think that folks will, will see that. And I like to say that, you know, there's always that expression of, you know, if you can't spot the sucker at the poker table, it's you. And, and that's true if you're playing cards, but I think in just about every other facet of life, I always try to encourage everyone I know to be, the weakest, the dumbest, the slowest one at the table because you're going to be surrounded by folks who are going to help you excel. And so I have found as the sort of central connective tissue in building this that it has been great to be one of the weakest coaches, the worst athletes, the least charismatic, mm-hmm. I mean, just all of those things. Um, that is lucky for me to be sort of at, sitting at a table with folks who are so much stronger at all of those pieces because then I can use my strength and skill, which I hope is allowing them to flourish and allowing them to bring their knowledge, expertise, and energy to the program and being the conduit for that. So um, I would encourage folks to, to really look us up on our, our website and check it out. Um, and I know there's all kinds of good discount codes and things floating around out there. I'll, I'll sort of leave that to the ether for folks to find on both of your social media accounts. Um, but check us out because if you're like me and you think it would be cool to be part of a community with some of the best dietitians, coaches, athletes in the world, there's a real power in being treated as an equal at that table without actually having the physiological or psychological or mental talent to back it up. So I, lo- I love being able to, to kind of sit at that table and dine with the, with the rest to, to try to make myself better. And so to be able to provide that experience as a mechanism for growth through running um, and really empowering people through a running experience, I think is really cool. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So um, I hope folks come and check it out and go through the whole experience. I hope that, um, if folks can't commit to the whole experience as we start to think about maybe offering one or two of those things that are really key and really useful, like the Oregon retreat as a standalone thing that they'll join us for that and see what it's like as well. Um, so to just sort of follow along. Cause I think that everyone who listens to this podcast and is still listening to me drone on right now is doing so Jason, because they admire you and trust your work and they have so much deep respect for Kate and what she's accomplished and her approach uh, that we're going to just try to bring those to everyone's experience. And that's the goal. Yeah. Now, Jake, what's the website? The website is endeavorrun.com. It's Endeavor with a UN at the end of it. There's not two R's. You know, we didn't want to, you never miss an opportunity to smush words together. I like to say, right. There's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a moral crime to leave two words that are just sitting there, not smushed together. <laughs> not, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen that Colgate Palmolive commercial lately where the woman claims she's having dish issues Dishes. It's right there. Just, just smush them together. It's right there. Okay. So it's Endeavor Run. It's just one R. You put it together. Check out the site. Um, it's really easy. There's only four pages to the site. I recommend clicking start here on the homepage to watch the two minute video. Um, and then if you follow us on Instagram or if you subscribe to our newsletter, you get all sorts of great content. In fact, our recent newsletter, Jason, just finished featuring one of your videos about exercises that you can do to get better at building and maintaining speed. Um, and also there's a, a free uh, intermediate level half marathon training plan that's uh, sort of built with the kind of combination of both nonlinear and linear periodization for folks with a nice guidance key and some strength work and uh, some core work that's built into that as well that you can just get for free for going to the website and being willing to get our newsletter. So we want to be able to provide that at minimum for folks who can't go through the whole experience. Awesome, Jake. Well, I, like I said, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about hanging out with you next year. Kate, you as well. Um, where So we can go to EndeavorRun.com and learn more about the, the program. And I'm also going to include links and a discount code to, uh, to registration if you're interested on the Strength Running blog uh, and in the description of this podcast when it goes out. So I'm not going to have everyone remember uh, our, our, our muddled how to spell things here on the podcast, but Jake, Kate, thanks so much for making some time and talking about your training, Kate, and how you think about it and, and Jake Endeavor Run and, and how, you know, I don't think the running industry has seen something like this. And, and I think you're really feeling a need for the really passionate runner who wants to improve, who wants to see their potential, uh, to, to get that pro experience and just to, 
uh, use it as a great learning experience that they can then use for the rest of their lives. You know, they'll have access to the resources, they'll have access to, um, you know, a lot of that uh, from the program and also just the knowledge that you will learn over time. So I think it's just wonderful, super excited to be a part of it. And I can't wait to geek out in the University of um, Oregon next year. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. There's, uh, there's going to be so much fun stuff and I'm just excited to get out there and um, maybe, you know, not that I would advise doing anything illegal, but you know, Hayward Field is technically closed. They're redoing it right now in preparation for Kate winning the U.S. title there in June. So we're going to be there a few weeks after that. And uh, we'll at least pose for some pictures outside. And obviously, if somebody happens to sneak onto the field and run a 400, I mean, we can't <laughs> stop them. You know, I, I don't advise it, but uh, it's a possibility. You know, it's been done. Just put it down. This retreat is going to be so much fun. I'm excited. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. And yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do great stuff. Running trivia. We'll have strength demos. We've got uh, Kate's PT, uh, Jay DeSherry, who's really well-renowned, um, lives not too far from, from Kate and the Bowerman team, is coming there to do a biomechanics. We'll have all sorts of uh, athlete Q&A seminars. Um, it's going to be awesome. Now, is this Jay DeSherry of Anatomy for Runners and Running Rewired fame? In fact, not only is it that, but uh, I've got a copy of Running Rewired right here. There's none other than an endorsement for an Olympic middle distance runner that says, Jay is, simply put, the best. His program prepared me for success in my training for the Rio Olympics from somebody named Kate Grace, um, who you both may know. is written right here on the back of the book. And in fact, because Jay is a sponsor, um, if folks are interested in getting that book, which is awesome, uh, we have, uh, I think it's 30% off for anybody who wants a copy of that book with a special code that Jay hooked us up with. So there's, you know, folks like Jay and Matt and others are going to be there. Um, you know, go check out the team page on our website. It's going to be, it's going to be off the hook. I've already started building the running trivia uh, for, for our pub night. Um, that's going to be out there. We've got a recovery. We've got a recovery. <laughs> the important lounge. things. The important things, right. We've got a recovery lounge. Uh, set up where some of our uh, partners and sponsors are going to be sending things like rapid reboot compression systems and other things for us to test out while we're there. Um, so we've got some pretty cool stuff going on. I am so excited. Jake, thank you. Kate, thanks so much. Thank you guys. It was so fun to talk about everything. Looking forward to more. Thanks guys. Hey, Jason here with a quick message before you pause this episode. I hope you enjoyed this different format with two guests and are now better able to plan a season of your own after listening to Kate discuss the intricacies of season planning at the professional level. Like I mentioned during the conversation, don't focus too much on the exact dates or the number of days that she takes off after each season. The point here is to demonstrate the cyclical and strategic way of planning your training so you get better results. So no matter if you're training for a mile or 100 miles, you can use these principles to design better training for yourself. Finally, do go to EndeavorRun.com or you can check out the Strength Running blog where I will link out to it to see how you can get the same type of planning guidance from a coach, be treated to a comprehensive pro athlete experience, and join me and a whole bunch of pro runners and experts at the University of Oregon next summer for a running retreat that'll be unlike anything I've ever seen. I'm super excited about it, and if you use code JASON at checkout, you'll save 15% and get a free pair of shoes. The perks with Endeavor Run are outstanding. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking action with your running, and I'll be in touch very soon. Take care.